guess this is this is the show, right? Like we, I, I, so yeah, show sorry, I feel like we started. Yeah, no, it's yeah, good. This is, how, this is how we roll. Uh, so did you, did, we haven't introduced, because there might be people listening who don't know who Bill is. So we should probably, <laughs> we should probably say, because Bill, we, you know, we're, we're um, Don and I are really big in the, in the food safety world. But, really? But, but. Also, wow. we're there. There are people outside of food safety who listen to this podcast, which is baffling. Like, like just normal people that I that have like happened upon us. Um, and and we, it's probably the some of the best listener questions and feedback that we get are people that are not in our in our world. Who, huh. yeah. So, so anyway, Bill, and well, and oh, yeah. what I'll say, Ben, let, let me just do do a shout out to all of our listeners. If you are listening to this podcast and you have never heard of Bill Marler, please let us know. Yeah, because <laughs> we would like to know who you are and why you've never heard of him. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, so, so I'm gonna um, I'll introduce uh, Bill, uh, Bill Marler. This is straight off of Bill's website, which is you know we do this in just in real time, Bill. Um, Bill Marler is a food poisoning attorney who champions the cause of children and other people sickened by E. coli, salmonella, listeria, and other foodborne illnesses across the U.S. Um, I'm I, I'm going to also quote, which uh, is is right on uh, Bill's website, an article uh, that was in the New Yorker uh, a couple of years ago, um, where the pull quote is where people typically thought of food safety as this three-legged stool, consumer groups, the government, and the industry, Bill sort of came as a fourth leg and actually was able to affect changes in a way that none others really had. And, and I'll say, Bill, before we really get into our discussion um, today, we, you know, we, we all have our own little group text chats and our nerdy food safety world uh, and non-nerdy food safety group text. But um, we had a conversation. I won't out the the individuals, but Don and I are on a number of, you know, text text chats. And um, we were talking about one of the topics that I wanted to talk to you about today on infant formula and chronobacter Um and and uh, you know this this outbreak and, and recall and, and that whole world in mass. But um, one of our colleagues said this is exactly why Bill is part of what we do in food safety because th this one is is messy. Where the and again we'll get into this, but where where the infant formula world and the food industry has really kind of failed, and th there certainly are some some questions that I think we want to talk about related to the regulatory aspect of this. And, and you're there in, in the middle of this, really talking about how, how do we respond and how do we, how do we change all of it, right? The regular, yeah. the regulatory world, the, the academic world, the industry for better. And so I, so I, I just, I wanted to, to sort of set the stage for, for folks on this is that you, I think you, you enter into the world as um, a foodborne illness lawyer, but you're really more part of advancing our food safety discussions. And so, and it's, and it's, I think it's hard to describe, right? Like, I don't think it's, <laughs> no, no, I, I think, I think people have a hard time figuring out like what I do and <clears throat> what might, what might be my agenda. So yeah. Well, well you know, and Ben, I, I don't, I don't know how much you know about stools, Ben, 
Um, welcome to a stool safety talk. Stool safety and I'm not talking about I'm not talking about the fecal kind. Um, oh, no. a, a stool with four legs is I, I, I've stood on a three legged stool, Ben. It's a little tippy. Add a fourth leg, it's much more solid. So right, right. you know, <laughs> four legged stools as they as they and, as and I went. I went away from stool as in four-legged stool and went straight to, you know, feces. Stool. Oh, that's, see, yeah. that's why I had to offer that correction because yeah. I knew you were going to yeah. do yeah. that. I know. I couldn't help it. Yeah. So what? one track my, one track mine. So we had you on a long time ago. I mean, we've been doing this podcast now for a decade, which is kind of kind of wild. That's um, crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I mean, I, th- I think our first, right, Don, like our first episodes were 2013. Yeah. Um, the first one we recorded was in the summer of 2012. I think that was when the 100-year anniversary of IFP was. Um, wow. We, yeah. yeah. Bill, so, Bill, was, Bill was on in 2014. Yeah. Um, wow. Episode 58, Where's My Wallet? Best episode title <laughs> ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and, and we, so I... I, I don't think that there are there are some people that have listened to, you know, start to finish the our entire catalog, and some people that we know listen have found out about us and have gone in both directions, right? They've they're now caught up, but they're working their way backwards. But I do I want to, um, I, I want I want you to to introduce yourself and what you what you do and how you're part of the food safety world, Bill and how you got into it. I don't want this to be sort of focused on history because we did go through that a, a lot before, right. but just, right. just really briefly, like, how did you, why, like, how do, how do you know us and how did you get here? Well, <laughs> I, you know, Ben, I think I met you when you were an undergrad yep. at in Guelph. I mean, that's gotta be either the, was it the late nineties, early two thousands? I can't remember. It's over 20 years. Like, I think yeah. I probably met you in 2000 or 2001. You, you yeah. came, we, we had, we had interacted over email a bunch and then you came to visit us and, and give a lecture. And I, I can't remember what year it was. And it's like, I'm sure we could find it on the internet. It's a long time. Yeah. I've known no, you. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. You, had, I, you, had, you had hair. Yeah. Well, I well, mean, I was still some, I had longer thin hair yeah that's what it was that's what it was that's what it was <laughs> yeah. um so so yeah not to get you know too deep in the weeds because it's actually it'll be 30 years doing this kind of work uh, in uh january of uh, next year when the jack-in-the-box case blew up you know in the pacific northwest but i've essentially since that jack-in-the-box case have been involved in you know every you know, major and most minor foodborne illness outbreaks across the United States and have consulted on foodborne illness cases uh, throughout the world. Um, You know, sort of where I think I crossed over between, you know, suing people, uh, suing companies for, because that's my kind of main job. My main job is, you know, trying to through monetary means, um, take care of people who become sick. And uh, these are not like tummy aches. These are catastrophic illnesses and deaths of people who spend months, if not years in the hospital, have kidney failure, need transplants, have brain injuries, can't walk anymore, can't speak, can't feed themselves. These are significant illnesses, 
primarily involving kids. That's kind of my day job. And that's what I take incredibly serious. It's a, uh, I, 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 you know, for the industry people who sort of view me as an ambulance chasing, blood sucking, I, I, I feel no guilt, no anything for the work that I do. Um, you know, they have a responsibility to produce safe food. Uh, I have a responsibility when they screw up to take as much money as I can for the victims so the victims are taken care of to the extent they can be for the rest of their lives. That's kind of my main job. But I'd say probably in the early 2000s, um, I started to feel like being a lawyer wasn't enough. That, you know, taking people's money, uh, you know, humiliating them in depositions in the courtroom just wasn't making enough change, in my view, quick enough. Mm. So uh, I started putting myself out there as a speaker and I'd gotten lots of times offered to speak, but I sort of really sort of ramped up my ability to be out um, speaking at conferences, you know, industry conferences, public health conferences, environmental health conferences, you know, you know, all over the United States. And I've sp spoken in a dozen countries uh, across the globe. So I, I was really doing that as well, um, you know, because uh, litigation is, a have said before, is a blunt instrument of social change. And it, and so I decided to bring another arsenal to it was to try to help companies understand why it's a bad idea to poison their customers. And so I'd tell stories and I'd show doc documents that I'd get in discovery and show how I would, can unwind the company and make it really embarrassing for them and then flip the information to the feds so they can prosecute them criminally. Right. And right. so, so I did that. And even that wasn't sort of enough for, you know, to, I didn't feel like I was doing enough. And so I've jumped into, uh, you know, pushing legislation. You know, um, you know, I, I take responsibility for, you know, the non-0157s uh, being listed as adulterants. I mean, if I hadn't spent a half a million dollars doing hamburger tests and a petition with the FSIS and threatening to sue them, um, you know, those wouldn't be listed as adulterants today. And I'm now doing the same thing with Sam Salmonella. Um, and I'm starting a new petition on Campylobacter. So, uh, yeah, I'm still busy. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and I think that that I, I think that that's what differentiates you from from other litigators, right? Like that that are that are out there. I I've know, like I said, I've known you for a long, long time. Um, that that trajectory of Hey, I'm I'm gonna go out there and and punish you on behalf of my clients. To I'm gonna raise awareness about really bad stuff that people can do when they aren't thinking about food safety and and why it's why it's kind of important to 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 focus on too. All right, let's change some legislation. I know you're a really um, 
involved in the Food Safety Modernization Act work as well and, and driving things forward. And one of the topics I want to get to at some point today is just what you're doing in South Africa, because I'm really interested in in that um, as well. But I, I, I think that that's the that that's kind of the conundrum with uh with what you do right is that you're you're out there doing the, this stuff and i think you you look you're looked at as controversial because you're you're also in in you know many industry minds like a lawyer that's that's benefiting from foodborne illness right like and it's such a weird like it's got to be weird for you to be yeah, in that in that in that hey, spot right hey, like hey it's it's weird because most, you know, to be honest with you guys, I mean, and, and, and that little piece of the puzzle about me actually intersects back to the two of you and our miscommunication over dinner, <laughs> you know, because because um, because there's a, a pariah part of my personality um, when people I have, a, a, you know, a, a lot of respect for, um, in addition to you two, now, in, 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 you know, primarily the two of you, uh, there, when we had a miscommunication of timing and, and, and who was texting who and whether we were having dinner or not, I went to the place where I'm a pariah and you guys didn't want to have dinner with me, <laughs> which, which is like the opposite of, of which, right, right. But yeah. I can see well, that. we're, we're yeah. sitting there thinking, why, why is Bill sitting here and doesn't realize that he's having dinner with us? I know. And, and yeah. the, and the crazy thing was it took, you just got to understand. I think yeah. that might give you an understanding of oh, why yeah. I sat there for such a long time, because my brain wasn't registering right. the fact that it could be a miscommunication as opposed to the reality that I'd built in my brain. And so I yeah. have a little, I have a lot of that going on and, you know, and I'm sure there's some diagnosable neuroses that is the cause of that. But, um, you know, the one thing I would add before we kind of get into stuff, and I think it's super important to understand, you know, the, for, to understand me, you know, um, you know, when you see, when you see kids die, like actually see them die because of a foodborne illness. I mean, I've been in a room when a family has pulled the plug on their kid. I've been there. I've seen it happen. I watched a little two and a half year old girl die just to stop. And I'd never seen something like that before. And most of your, your listeners hopefully have never seen something like that before. But if that doesn't like change the, you know, the cellular structure of you, who you are as a human being, mm -hmm. you got a problem, you know? And so, um, you know, it's, that that I think is an important thing, and the, the only other thing I'd add is, I had this really weird uh, frenemy relationship with a guy by the name of Dave Thino, and you know, uh, and you know, I I deposed him for days, you know, until the point where he he would he and his lawyers were yell at me, and they were so mad, and you know, but over the years. You know, you wind up in the same place at the same time and you find that you have that you have sort of the same kind of goal 
And he never forgave me for deposing him, but, uh, you know, that that's okay. But the fact of the matter is, is by, unfortunately, by the time he died, we were doing like kind of like Laurel and Hardy, you know, stand up shit together about food safety. And, you know, I miss him. I miss him. Every time I think about food safety, I miss him. So anyway, I, I know that we didn't, no, we didn't, no. I, but and also, by the way, you can see this all in an upcoming Netflix movie that comes out in 1993. So, so more to, <laughs> more to come. Speaking, speaking, speaking of things that, that are out there that, that people should, should be aware of. And again, for, especially for those folks that maybe ha- have not heard of Bill. And if you want a really easy and quite readable introduction um, to Bill, I, I highly recommend uh, the book Poisoned. Uh, with the subtitle, The True Story of a Deadly E. coli Outbreak that Changed the Way Americans Eat by Jeff Benedict. Uh, I mean, I knew the story, but, but Jeff is a really good storyteller and, it, and it, really, it really does come through in that book. And so if you want a good introduction to food safety and, and to Bill's you know, early career, I would highly recommend that. And then the other, the other point I want to make before we get into it is this idea that Bill is is not well liked in the food industry um, was brought home to me during the time I was president of IAFP. And I had a very prominent person from the food industry uh, send me a message saying, you know, we think it's reprehensible that, that I, I don't know if you use the word reprehensible, but to worse to that effect uh, that, that, that Marler be allowed to speak at the IAFP meeting. And I forget whether it was one of the the keynotes, the the beginning keynote or or the end, the end keynote. And this guy said, well, you know, and we're, we're so upset that we're, uh, we're going to remove funding from the meeting. Right. And and I, I, because I was the president or the president elect at the time, I had to write a letter um, and actually drafted a letter and Ben, you, you know, this sent, sent it to our good friend, Doug Powell, who gave me a few suggestions on how to make it better. And basically sent a very nice letter, polite letter back to this person saying, you know, screw you. Um, we're, 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 he's speaking and we're sorry to, we're sorry to lose you as a listener, right? We're sorry, sorry to lose you as a funder, but, uh, you know, he's, he's part of food safety, whether, whether you like him or like what he does or not. And, uh, yeah. And, and, you know, they were back eventually they came back to the association, but, but, you know, I, it's, uh, how could, how could you not have somebody like Bill speak at a meeting like this? Right. I mean, it's, uh, he's again, it's fourth, fourth leg of the stool. It's, it's, it's an important part of what we do, but anyway, we should probably, we should probably get into it. I, I want, I really want to hear, I don't know what questions you have Ben, but like Bill, I was thinking about this this morning, like I, on a scale, on a scale of one to 10, um, how badly screwed is Abbott Labs? Um, this sounds like a lawyer, but it it sort of depends. Oh, depends. That's, wait, I'm wearing, I'm wearing my shirt. It depends. It's complicated. It's complicated. It wait, right, yeah, that's wait right here. It's our tagline. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, right there. It, See, right there on the it shirt. Depends. So yeah. it's, oh, that's great. But you know the so the answer to your question is I think from a from a uh, a civil liability point of view. Uh, they're not screwed at all. Um, and, and and let me, hmm. this might sound, I, I had a long conversation with a reporter who yesterday, who called me and uh, was telling me, you know, about all these class action lawsuits that have been filed on behalf of victims all over the country. And, you know, and that all, every one of the lawyers who had filed lawsuits said, hey, you should really call Bill Marler because he's like, 
he's the guy. He knows everything. And so she called me and she says, well, what do you think of these class action lawsuits? And I said, honestly, they're probably all BS. And she was like, excuse me? Yeah. <laughs> and I said, well, let you got to look at this. And this might sound very weird to your listeners, but you got to look at the science behind <laughs> this outbreak. And the fact of the matter is, is you've got, unfortunately, four children who've sick, two who survived and two who died. You had an early inkling that maybe Salmonella was involved, but that got yanked. But you have all these class actions. Yeah, I don't know how many uh, being filed on behalf of people whose kid drank formula and got sick. Um, but they either don't know what made them sick or they have camp, uh, C. difficile or salmonella or they have uh, some uh, rash or something um, that is most likely scientifically having nothing to do with the infant formula. Right. And, you know, there's that weird saying that some smart person said that, you know, correlation is not causation. And in a legal world, you know, my burden to prove <clears throat> is only what's more likely than not. So 50% and a little bit more. That, you, you know, for a scientist, that's not a, a lot. You guys, you know, confidence interval, 95%. Right, right. So, so my standard is lower, but if, if this stuff doesn't meet my standard, you know, it is what it is. So, so that, that the, the legal part of this, <clears throat> from a civil point of view, Abbott, can brush this off. Plus, there's a lot of, if you read very closely the FDA and CDC reports, you'll also see that uh, the camp, the coronavirus that was found in the children doesn't necessarily match what was found in the plant. And there's, there's, there's things that, I, I mean, I could deal with that, but there's right. things to deal with. From a criminal point of view, however, from uh -huh. a, uh, from a, uh, you can go to jail point of view, you can be fined <clears throat> tens of millions of dollars. Uh, you can be unwound criminally in front of a grand jury. Those guys need to lawyer up and lawyer up big because there ain't nothing like a bunch of pissed off moms and a bunch of pissed off uh, senators and Congress members who, who are getting lots of phone calls from pissed off moms mm. to get the justice department to wake up and do something. And I think this is a classic case. If you just even look at their, the 483 from January to March, there's enough there to put these guys, somebody in jail and, and rightly so. Even, even though the standard of proof in a criminal case is higher, Right. right, but the but the the Federal Food Drug and Cosmetic Act, Federal Food Drug and Cosmetic Act, has has two parts. It's there, and and it's uh, and it's essentially if you put contaminated product onto the marketplace, whether you whether you sicken anybody or not, if that product goes onto the marketplace, that's a crime. It could be, and then the question is is whether or not it's an intentional crime or a reckless crime hmm. or a negligence crime or 
It had just happened. And so that's the level between okay. a misdemeanor and a felony. Um, my view, if I was a prosecuting attorney, I'd look at that 483 and say to myself, you don't have that level of contamination. You don't have destroying product and not recalling it. Um, you don't have that without somebody consciously going, eh, let's, let's not worry about that. So, which, which says criminal. That says to me, it says criminal. And criminal. I, I think okay. there's enough, I think a felony criminal, which is okay. right. up, oh, to, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. up to 10 years in prison and a million dollar fine per charge. Misdemeanor is a $250,000 fine and a year in prison. And, and, a, and let's just make sure people understand this. A misdemeanor is that you, the product just got out of your plant, not even sickening anybody, that that product was contaminated and got out of your plant. That's what Chipotle went down for. That's what ConAgra went down for. That's what Bluebell went down for. That's what the egg guys went down for. All of them with tens of millions of dollars in fines and jail time for a few of them uh, was all misdemeanor charges. Mm, okay. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, the only guy recently was a felony charge was my dear friend, Stuart Parnell and his right. friends. Peanut Peanut Corporation, Peanut Corporation of America. Of America. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so in those, all right. So Bluebell, ConAgra, um, what was the third one? Not not Chipotle. Was there? There was another one you mentioned. Oh, yeah, uh, the uh, Wright County Egg. Egg, uh, egg right? Was, so yeah, so, the Jensen Farms uh, yeah. Listeria case. Yeah. In those ones, the if and you probably know more about this, so correct me if I'm wrong on this. The the product on the market that was recovered, like product on the market had the pathogen in it, and it was recovered. Right. Like in Bluebell, but Chipotle not because there was not like by the time that investigation happened. So in this one, and this is one of the things that I know Abbott Labs is laboratory has been talking about is like, hey, epidemiology wise, maybe it's us, maybe it's not. But we don't have any product that's that, that's got the the pathogen in it that yet. Right. Like, I mean, I yeah. think that that's the, the part that the food safety world has been saying, but does right. that, but, but that doesn't matter. They, yeah. yeah they, the kids drank the evidence. Right. So, right. Right. You know, I know. I mean, it happens all the time, Ben, in cases where, I mean, the onion case, the onion the, case, uh, you know, they found what 25 different kinds of salmonella, but not the exactly. serotype that was found in the, you know, in the people uh, that's, that's that's a smokescreen. I mean, in part, in part, scientists um, have gotten so good at defining these tests. You know, the the, the E. coli in the bag of lettuce or the bag of spinach. That's that was a rarity until the last decade, and so people just used good epidemiological evidence, uh, exactly. which is more than sufficient to prove you know, a civil case and frankly, more, you know, quite sufficient to prove a criminal case. So I'm not, Hey, I'll go in as a, as a unpaid federal prosecutor and I'll make, I'll make the Abbott boys feel like it's not a good day for them. Right, right, right. It's been, this one's been a weird one 
for me, and I talk, Don already knows this, but I've, I've had a couple of conversations with folks at Abbott. Um, and I mentioned that on the last episode of the podcast, who kind of reached out and said, okay, um, we want, I'm going to paraphrase- make this go away. Well, a little bit, but like no? also, hey, you're, you're out there talking about stuff. We'd like to have a line, like if you need questions from, if there's something you want to know from us, let us know. And so there's been a few things that I've asked questions about and they're like, yeah, we, I'm not sure we can tell you that about whole genes, genome sequencing, right? Like that there's a bunch of pathogens here and, and, and they've, and again, I'll paraphrase this. They've basically said, there's more to this than you can see, but I can't tell you what that is. And I, and I'm like, but could you just tell me what it is? And, and that, yeah. so, so that plus the, the media and in this bit, it's been a very, it's been an odd one. And, and I think part of this, and you and I have talked about this, Bill and, and Don and I got into this a little bit, the epidemiology of this is really limited by the fact that Chronobacter is not reportable in all but one state, Minnesota, yeah. and it's not on CDC's notifiable list. So there right. might be way more illnesses out there that I completely could connect agree. the dots, right? Like the epidemiology is hindered by by this and and that's it's and it's weird that it's a weird that i have not seen any public health official give a really good explanation about like why yeah coronabacter is not on the list and and you know i you i i've certainly got suppositions and they're maybe some of them are accurate but i i it's i th- i've found I found both the FDA's lack of transparency about all of this, uh, the CDC and the territorial epidemiologists' lack of transparency about all this, pretty odd. And and I think a fine explanation would be, there's so few cases, why count them? Yeah. I think that's a legit, I mean, it may not satisfy, you know, you know, a parent. Absolutely. Well, yeah, yeah. But, but that's legitimate. But I, you know, I, if some science guy, a gal told me that I'd kind of go, man, okay, I get it. I get it. Well, maybe we should think about it, you know? And, and so while we're, so we, I think we sufficiently pissed off people in the industry. Let's try to piss off our, our federal, (laughs) federal partners in this. Yeah. Um, so Ben and I have, t- I think Ben, you and I have talked That's about That's why this. you guys brought me on. No, we did this, we <laughs> did this without the stool, man. Or the <laughs> yeah. stool. Um, uh, and so the, 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 the question I have, and Ben, and I think you and I have talked about this, I think, maybe in a text chain. Um, when you look at that first 483, and I haven't looked at it recently, why didn't FDA do more? Maybe the no. second one. The second, oh, second one. Okay. The first one was from 2019. I think it's the one that I'm really interested in is the, the October, the September, September, September one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, but I think uh, if, if, you know, I pulled all the ones that went back to 2010. So, and, you know, if you, if you guys There's, need yeah. those, I'm, I'll send them to you. <laughs> Please. Yeah. 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 And so, but, you know, they, it was a pretty clean, you know, I mean, a decade was pretty clean. They started having a little problems in 2019. And then, you know, understandably, you know, and I think this is also something that people should talk about is understandably things got kind of weird 
because of, you know, COVID. Yeah. Um, And I mean, I was on several panels during the COVID, you know, of course, I would argue COVID's still around. A lot of people don't want to deal with that. But you've got fans of that here. Don't worry. Yeah. 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 (laughs) But uh, but but in any event, um, during COVID times, um, you know, I was on lots of panels, including with some FDA people who I know and respect about, you know, sort of, hey, we're doing these inspections remotely that's kind of weird you know what are we doing and i think that's a good conversation to have i don't fault fda or inspectors under those circumstances any more than i would fault you know you know fsis people you know i mean it's just we all had to deal with whatever it is we were dealing with and you know, and, you know, we don't pay those people enough to put themselves in harm's way of a deadly, you know, uh, area, airborne pathogen. Um, you know, but, you know, you look at, that's what I think hasn't been completely transparent. You know, you got the September illness in Minnesota where the kid is a match to product that was opened in Minnesota. So there's a match between those two people, uh, the the kid and the product. Now, granted, that match doesn't also apply to something that was found in the plant. But, you know, Abbott's going to have a tough argument that, you know, it's not out of the realm of possibility. But I think Abbott's going to have a tough argument that, that product became contaminated in the household. That, yeah. that's, that's a that's 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 speculative. That doesn't make the that doesn't pass the Bill Marler smell test. But but and, uh, what, and on that, I think that CDC can unlock that with whole genome sequencing potentially. Well, right? I don't even think that. Yeah, I don't even. So that wouldn't. So I, I guarantee you because I've litigated Coronabacter infant formula cases. Uh, and because there was a settlement, I can't even tell you the name of the company that paid a lot of money to, you know, make my client go away. Right. But the, the fact of the matter is, is, is that their argument at the time was a child who was in premature in the NICU, never had been outside, had tested positive and died from a coronabacter illness the product the opened product tested positive and was a uh, a pfge match predates whole genome sequence but the the argument that this company had was is that the nicu contaminated the product and i guarantee you <laughs> that that if any of these cases, these coronavirus cases surface, Abbott's defense was the parents contaminated their own child, the hospital contaminated that child, and it's not our fault. So forget it. We're not going to pay. We're not going to take care of these people. So, you know, yeah, see, when when people think about me as the lawyer who's like the evildoer, you just think about what these poor defense lawyers have to come up with with silly theories to you know to under undercut victims cases you know Mm -hmm. so 
yeah anyway that that's a that but i'm i'm yeah i look at that september 43 and and wonder about the facts surrounding it then you got an october case in the november that somebody needs to somebody needs to have a hearing they need to put the fda the cdc the you know minnesota department of health Iowa, Ohio Department of Health, Texas Department of Health, and ask the tough questions like, what'd you do? When'd you do it? What, who'd you say it to? What happened? Because not because, you know, you want to ruin these people's lives. You just don't want this to be repeated again in the future. So that, that was something, I mean, so you, you talked about your, I guess, reflection of, Hey, I, I need to do more for for food safety and and, I, and one of the things that i've really thought about a lot over the last 15 years is and and really reflected in the stuff that i do and why we do this the show and why we talk about stories is these are real people right like so it's it's to tell the stories it's not just about numbers but also the reason why we tell these stories and talk about it and get it to people who can make decisions within companies and within health departments is because we could avoid this in the future, right? Like mm-hmm. it's not its not just the punitive nature of punishing the person who did something, but everybody else should take notice so we don't do this again because we, these are these are illnesses that, and, and deaths that didn't need to happen. Like they, they it, it's, uh, yeah. It, and when you, I, I think when, I think when th- that was a realization for me, like that was not obvious to me as a food safety graduate student or someone that was early in my career. It, and I don't know what, what the trigger was, but it was a, a, a different mindset of yeah. we, we, we need to, we need to avoid this. And, and I think the, like when you talk about criminal charges and you talk about civil litigation, I think that that's been, it's been a stat. There's nothing new about that now, right? Like I think the even the 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 Chipotle Conagra cases, those were relatively new in the in the criminal. Now I think that discussion's being had by executives and CEOs about making sure that we're not going to jail for these things. And we've known for you know 30 years that we can get sued for it. Right. That that that's that's out there, right? Like that's right. it's no long, no long, and I, I'm sure you're you're probably finding the same thing, Bill. Would the more that you talk with people, they're not as surprised as they were 20 years ago that they could even get sued for this and lose, right? Like, right. yeah, right. yeah. No, I agree. I agree. So, uh, yeah, I would, uh, I'd lawyer up if I was. I'd lawyer up. In fact, I, I'm sure they already have. I'm sure they, yeah, so, yeah. Um, so, but the civil thing, it's, it's not. not there, I, I think it's not there, and I think. Uh, you know, a year from now, when Abbott wins a bunch of these and gets them dismissed, I mean, hey, you guys, I, I have looked, I have vetted about a hundred infant formula cases in the last three weeks. So my phone's been ringing off the hook. Yep. You know, well, with with and, and completely understandable parents. I mean, including some children who die. And, you know, um, but, you know, there's no culture. Yep. They've got C. difficile, not Coronabacter. Somebody yep. have Campylobacter, not Coronabacter. I mean, there's a lot of 
there's a lot of misunderstanding. And my job is to, you know, help those people understand the science of it, even though it isn't the answer that they want. Well, and you know, one of the really interesting things about you, Bill, and, and when I first heard this, it kind of made me scratch my head, but then the more I thought about it, the more sense it made. Like you're, so people, you know, you, you, I think you use the, the phrase or Ben used the phrase ambulance chaser, but no, did um, not. I did not use that. Okay, phrase. It was, that was Bill. Bill was self-referencing, self <laughs> ref, referencing himself as an ambulance or being called an ambulance chaser at chaser. And one of the things that is really interesting about Bill is that um, he doesn't take the case if he thinks he can't win it right for his client so that to me seems like not an ambulance chaser or that's a really super smart ambulance chaser who only chases the right ambulances right and then also he mostly just wants to get money for his clients he's not he's not about necessarily having a trial so he's he's i mean you know i mean it's it, it and it was just like wow like you mean there's cases he won't take and he mostly doesn't want a trial he mostly just wants to get his clients taken care of and 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 it's and it's and, you know and that when i first heard that or or somebody told me that about you it kind of blew my mind a little bit and and it and and and, I'm, and i think about it on a regular basis i'm like yeah it's you know pay attention to the cases he takes because right you know I, right I have a, then, then they're screwed i have i have an <laughs> epidemia i have an epidemiologist on staff yeah right I, i'd right, like right. you to find one law firm in the united states that has an epidemiologist on their staff right, full time. Right. right. Yeah. Actually, I, yeah. I have two. I actually, I have, it's, I have an intern. She's getting her master's uh, at Berkeley in uh, public health. She was a client of mine 10 years ago mm. who suffered an E. coli illness. It's actually 12 years ago, 12 years ago, E. coli illness developed HUS in a romaine lettuce outbreak. And she's gone on, as a lot of my clients, by the way, have, have gone into public health, foodborne illness, uh, or continue to have an interest, or have gone into ICUs, nurses, physicians. I, you know, I have this cadre of former clients of mine that, you know, have, you know, you know, turned chicken shit into chicken salad. Let's, you know. let, let's 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 try to find a different way to grow the profession. I mean, I'm really <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. It's, no, not, no, it's it, not very efficient. But, but hey, but I'll tell you, but, but I'll tell you, yeah, those people, those oh, people yeah. have something to say. I mean, you've had it, it been uh, as a board member of STOP. You've had interactions with some of those people yeah. on the board that they bring. They bring a very stark reality to what it means to be a victim of a foodborne illness. It's a real thing. Well, and so. I mean, just look, I mean, I, I think sort of the, the ultimate example of that to me is Barb Kowalczyk, right? Who is now a Absolutely. university professor who lost a kid to, to E. coli. Yep. So, uh, and, and she was, their family was my client. And, so. and they, I mean, Barb, that, you know, that was probably another turning point in, in my career when I met Barb, interacted with her to, to not just, to know somebody who had gone through this and Bill, you're exposed to this every day, right? Like, yep. like, I mean, as part of your job, Don and I are not like we, we, we're, we're very, thank God. Right. Right. But we're very like, we're, we're certainly advocates for, for everything public health, but it is different when you talk to someone who is like, I, 
I, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you other than my son died after eating ground beef. Like I don't, like, it, and, and it's, it is a, a, a totally different conversation around food safety. You know, I, the, the other day I wrote a piece when, uh, you know, trying to urge the industry to step up and help fund the Thino uh, fellowship. And, and I, and it was <laughs> the, the story where it was 2012 and, uh, I had been invited to like some, it was like the National Meat Association, uh, you know, thing. And Dave and I were the keynote speakers. And we did a sort of a thing together. <clears throat> and then I said, hey, see you later. And then I flew, I think I was in Tampa or someplace. And I flew to South Carolina to meet with a family of a child that nearly died from eating Nestle Tollhouse cookie dough, an E. coli case. And then, then I flew from there to Cleveland, Ohio, to sit across the table for from a family who had lost this beautiful six-year-old girl because the grandfather had eaten a hamburger, had gotten sick with E. coli 157. The family visited grandpa in the hospital Somehow, some way, the little girl got a secondary infection and died. Mm. And, you know, I don't give a how many millions of dollars you get. I just remember sitting across a kitchen table in a, you know, a, a little part of Cleveland with a, you know, a, a father and a mother who had one child. And that child died and you just were watching this wreck unfold in front of you. And I, I've written about this a lot where, you know, it's not just you two who don't see this all the time, but it's like, you know, the head of FSIS, it's the head of the FDA. It's the, you know, it's, it's, it's everybody who makes a decision about food safety doesn't sit across the table from these people. And it's very rare that you have somebody like a Mike Taylor who, or, or a Dave Thino who sort of, you know, reaches out and like embraces that painfulness when they're making policy decisions. And I think, you know, I know it's difficult, but, you know, hey, the reason I love Dave Thino was that he carried a picture of Lauren Rudolph in his briefcase, you know, and he had, you know, I, I, yeah, well, and I'll, I'll speculate, and maybe this is something that you've probably said, and I'll just regurgitate it, but um, maybe some of the reason why there are folks in the industry that don't like you is because they don't want to think about it. <laughs> Right. Like, like that, this, that this is a hard, it, it's tough. It's easier to think about the microbes. It's easier to think about the, the product withdrawals and, and the, the, the costs associated with that with that. But when you, when you really start thinking about the individuals, the actual families who are, yeah. who are impacted, it is hard. I don't like, I mean, you, uh, no one wants to think about it, right? Like, no. like, and that, so, so you, you being out there says, 
you can't not think about this, right? Like, like that's that that's a piece. Let of me this. let me let me tell you let me tell you a story that sort of fits with that. Um, and I may have, I may have been I may have told you this story before, and I apologize. I can't remember when this was. It might have been twenty years ago. Um, you know, the internet existed, <laughs> but it was. And I've been practicing law before the internet. So, you know, so the internet, the internet's still kind of a new thing for me. But somebody sent me a link to a, a, food, a food conference that was being had in California. And it was being put on by the Grocery Manufacturers Association, their litigation group. And, and I was looking at it, it was like at a really nice uh, golf and country club spa place. And I was like, well, that's pretty cool. And, you know, and I looked at who the speakers were and many of them were the defense lawyers who I'd been, you know, beaten up on for the last decade. A lot of companies that I'd sued were big supporters. Um, and it was a litigation conference for lawyers, how to, how to like fight me. They right. didn't say it quite that way, but that's what it was. But that's what it was. Yeah. Because yeah. you were the and only so, one in the game, right? Yeah. Like so, yeah. so, yeah. And I thought it was kind of weird that they didn't invite me. But anyway, that's kind of, so. What I did was I went online and and I went online and and I put in my credit card and I signed up. <laughs> and I figured somebody would call and yeah. go, "You can't come." You can't come and right. the, somebody did call, like within a day. Two. I probably had meetings about it. Who knows oh, what? Yeah, yeah, right. I, a lot of I meetings. I was yeah. gonna be fine. I was gonna be fine. That's fine. Just that's fine. You guys have your meeting. But he called and he goes, "Hey, I uh, see that you are, you know." And he says, um, "You know, a lot of our members and like most of the people who are sponsoring, including like McDonald's, does don't want you to show and can't don't want you to be there, but." Under California law, we can't preclude you from coming to the Amazing, meeting. amazing. So nice. would you be willing to be our keynote speaker? And I'm like, I'm like, hell yeah. So I, I call, you know, I tell Julie, who's my lovely wife of 33 years, the best human in the planet, as you guys know. Um, and I say, hey, we're going to a spa in California. You want to come? And she's like, count me in. So we went there, I gave my talk and then I hung around. And this is the part of the story that fits into what you're saying. So I, you know, I, I give my talk about why it's a bad idea to poison people and show them a bunch of stuff. But then I hung around and thought, oh shit, I'm going to listen to what these guys have to say. Not once in two days did they ever talk about a legitimate claim they spent two days talking about how to prove that somebody, it wasn't really their finger that was in the chili or that the rat that they claim was in the can really wasn't in the can or the bug or the what, blah, blah, blah. And they spent the two days dealing with cases that I never would take. Right, right. And, and, and that they could go home at night and say to themselves, oh, I stuck it to that fraudster, damn it. And I thought to myself, it's like, if this is what, <clears throat> you know, if this is the kind of cases that they actually do see day to day to day to day to day, you and because it's like comes at them, and it seemed like 
they get a lot of these kinds of claims, or maybe these are the only ones they want to talk about. But if this is what they're focused on, you can see how they could take the eye, their eye off the ball of the legitimate things hmm. that they really, really need to pay attention to. Yeah. And I yeah. think that's part of, you know, why I keep doing what I do is because I want to make sure that they don't forget about the mom and dad in the kitchen in Cleveland with the six-year-old girl, you know, who, you know, would have been 30 something now. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want, I don't want them to forget it. So, yeah, you know, but I, I, you, you make a really, you raise a really interesting point, which is, I really wonder, and I've seen ads for those same kind of conferences. And I, I wonder like what, like how much of this, like frivolous stuff comes at them versus how much is legit. And I, I hope, I, I hope we're doing a pretty good job with respect to food safety and that most of the time, most everything is fine. Right. And I think, I think it probably is, except when it's not, but I wonder, I wonder how much of this frivolous stuff um, I think there's, you, know, comes I, you know, I think there's more than, than I think there's more than should yeah. be. Yeah. And, you know, and, uh, and, and frankly, that's, you know, I know that if this writer from yesterday <clears throat> writes an, an accurate story about what I said, there are going to be a bunch of lawyers across the United States that are going to think that I'm, you know, they're going to like me about as much as the exactly. executive of the company that didn't want me to speak at IFP. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, but I think, I think we all as professionals have an obligation to our profession, uh, an obligation to the public to, to do the right thing. And the right thing sometimes is being honest with people and saying, you don't have a case. Yeah. I mean, think about how many times <clears throat> I've had, I mean, and it's not just a few, it's hundreds. How many times I've investigated a case of some, a child who dies, and then I've had to tell the family, I don't have enough evidence to prove what caused your child's death. There's not enough. That yeah. sucks. Yeah. But it's but it's the truth. It's, it's the truth. I've you know, um, Don and I have both done expert witness things. And recently, like within the last couple of years, I had a, a lawyer call me up and say, This family got sick from a you know, a burger that was cooked at this retail store, you know, what, what do I have? Not, not like, but, but what, 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 what are the things? And I, I looked at it and, and I was like, do you have any other illnesses? It's like, nope. Do, do you have, you got anything related to practices there? Nope. Do you have a stool sample? Nope. I'm like, I don't think you have anything. I mean, and now your now your job as the lawyer is to go back and and talk. And th there's a legitimate illness, right? Like something happened. Like that's not in question. But right. but it's it's exactly what you said. And it's the your experience over 30 years. You can probably make that decision much faster than someone who does other personal injury law and has now been given mm -hmm. 
a foodborne illness case. And, exactly. And they've said, okay, I'm in. I'm gonna I'm gonna file a lawsuit now, and then we'll figure it out on the back end. And and that and you know, okay, let's go find an expert. I got nothing on the back end. Now, now hey, what do I do? Most yeah. of the time, most of the time they're calling me and and going, and I have that same conversation. I wrote, I wrote a paper. It's not a published paper, it's not peer-reviewed, but it it's a it's a paper. It's called Separating the Wheat from the Chaff. And it's on BillMarler.com, you know, in my publication section. It's essentially a how to, you know, prove a, a foodborne illness case. It's also a how to disprove a foodborne illness case, but it's also an explainer of how to figure out whether or not something's legitimate or not. I probably need to update it because it was written <clears throat> during prior to whole genome sequencing, you being used routinely, which I think has been a significant game changer in foodborne illness litigation, foodborne illness uh, investigations. Yeah. All right. So I got a question for you. I've got a, I got a potential case. Is a, a guy who ate some leftovers and then he lost his legs. Yeah, and I read that. <laughs> There's no like so anyway, Don and I we talked about this a couple episodes ago. We're we're going to work on a a letter <laughs> to the editor. But so 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 think like in this situation I know I know you're not going to take this well, actually I shouldn't assume that. I assume you're not going to take this case. But so, so, so no, what no, happens I mean, here? Let, yeah. So so if let's just say <clears throat> that somebody that that young fellow called me and yeah you know, and this horrible thing happened, I, I certainly would, in part because I'd be interested in finding out what the hell happened, um, but also because I think somebody who's that injured has a, a sort of a, a right to know what the hell happened, if you can tell them. So I would look at the facts, and I, I haven't looked at the case, I've just read about it, in the newspaper, um, but you know, I mean, it 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 doesn't look like to me from what I saw that the the dots were connected between the food consumption and his illness and losing his legs. But I haven't looked at the medical records, health department records. Um, I don't know enough about exactly what he was diagnosed with to see whether or not somehow it could have been related to leftover rice in the refrigerator, which does can potentially cause some right. significant problems. Yeah. But I'm unaware of it causing the, the problem that he developed. Does but, it, yeah. Does it, does it help or hurt or does it help? Maybe not help or hurt. Does it help at all? that it was published in the New England Journal of Medicine and alluded to that it was leftovers. There's no direct line in the, in the actual published <clears throat> peer-reviewed document. Does that not, and I, and I wouldn't say like, I don't wanna put you on the spot on for, for your case, but if in your, you know, in your experience, it's, it's different than if it wasn't in the New England Journal of Medicine. Does it like, is it? Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, uh, <clears throat> it's still, um, there's a famous case uh, uh, that uh, uh, the, 
a federal court case is the Daubert is the name of a person and Daubert opinion. And the Daubert case, if, if you guys have acted as experts, that's a, a gatekeeper sort of case to determine whether or not what you're testifying to is sufficiently based in science. And the fact that it shows up in a New England Journal of Medicine article or, you know, or on, you know, you know, Barf blog or Marler blog is not really the point. Um, the point is whether or not there's sufficient, you know, scientific epidemiological evidence connecting the dots between that consumption and the illness. And mm. I, you know, without really understanding it fully, seeing the records, <clears throat> hard to comment. But it seemed yeah. it seemed a little sketchy to me. Yeah. And so us too. Yeah, us too. Yeah. Well, and, and so for that, the, the Daubert standard, um, is that something that someone would have to argue first before like that? This is yeah, like, that's the starting yeah. point before. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We just, we'll yeah, link yeah. to that. In show so notes. so yeah. like, for example, um, you know, I might ask, a, uh, you know, I, I have Daubert, you know, etched in my brain. So I know kind of what the federal judge might be concerned about at some mm. point down the road. And when I'm asking an expert to do something and make a report, yeah, I'm very careful that that I don't get an expert to say something that at some point down the road they go out on a limb and the judge saws it off, you know. Yeah. And so that that's really, I mean, you have to sort of think about it that way. Um, and uh, yeah, so I mean. No. Science is, you know, science is good. <laughs> science is good. And, you know, and we, and we, and, and I think it's important as professionals to try to explain things to people who aren't necessarily steeped in the rule of law mm. or in science. Mm. Uh, so Don, I, I, I was going to ask, Bill, if I can, if I, if I may, it's my show, right? Um, it's your show. So I, Bill, you and I, um, we've talked a little bit about this over the last couple of years. Um, and, and Don and I have talked about this, this uh, Listeria, um, uh, Polonia, I think, or Poloni, Poloni, Poloni. Yeah. Um, outbreak That's, in, it sounds like Poloni, but not with a Canadian accent. Right, right, so. right, right. Yeah, yeah. So, <clears throat> so I know we, we tried to record with you a couple of weeks ago. And you're like, sorry, I'm talking to South Africa. Uh, yeah. and, and so I'm really interested in what, like, what do you, not like all your details, but like, what does a Seattle lawyer have to do with the Listeria outbreak in South Africa? Like what, and, and this is something that you've been doing for a few years, right? Like this, so what, tell us about this, because I'm, I'm fascinated by it. Then so, I think he doesn't he doesn't sleep and he needs to be busy all the time. And he figured this was a way to stay awake <laughs> when other people yeah. are sleeping and keep his, his mind occupied. That's that's my short answer. <laughs> yeah. So so it's so <clears throat> probably I'll get this the dates wrong because everything's kind of blends together after you get to a certain age. But um, I think it's probably back like 20. 14, 2015, I got asked to speak uh, uh, at a food conference, food safety conference 
in South Africa. And uh, so I, I thought to myself, hey, I'd never been to South Africa. I might as well go. And so um, so I flew down there and uh, it was a two day conference where I wound up <clears throat> sort of being speaking several times during the course. It was more like a kind of like a seminar kind of thing. And, and it was um, and, and then then I went on safari. And uh, but one of the things that I met, I met a lawyer there, <clears throat> Janus Mutrik. Um, and uh, Janus was a uh, defense lawyer, uh, primarily doing patent work. And he would happen to be at the conference because he also was representing some food companies because they had recently passed a brand new consumer protection law that, you know, I didn't know existed. And I remember reading it and going, wow, that's interesting. Essentially, they've lifted strict liability, you know, products liability from the U.S. and inserted it into their consumer protection law. Where so essentially is if you produce a contaminated food product and it causes harm, you're liable. And I I remember thinking to myself, it's like I'm not sure they know exactly what they've just done here. And so then I went back to U.S. doing my thing, but I kind of kept in touch with those folks in South Africa and in Giannis, and then in. <clears throat> probably August of 2017 in the English press in South Africa, there was this sort of perking listeria outbreak where hundreds of people were sickened. And I remember emailing Giannis and the food safety person going, hey, what the hell's going on down there? You know, and they're like, no, we don't know, blah, blah, blah. Listeria is not a reportable disease in South Africa. So we don't really know if oh. they're just counting people, you know, there's now, and then a couple of weeks later, it's like 300. And I remember calling, talking, they're 10 hours difference. <clears throat> so I'd either, I, and this has been true for the last four years, I either meet with them at 10, 11, 12, one o'clock, or I do it at three, four, five, six. The other, right. other side. Sometimes I do both, which is kind of problematic, Ooh. but um, so I remember talking to Giannis and going, you know, they published now some information about like demographics and it seems like all over the country and in the cities and the country, <clears throat> I, my guess is like rich and poor, black and white, you know, Indian, their population is, you know, heavily weighted to black Africans, but there's also a significant population of uh, Indians from the subcontinent. And then also, you know, a, a smattering of, you know, Afrikaners and English people. And, um, but it seemed like it crossed a bunch of lines. And I was like, do you guys have like some product that people eat that's like a national food? Like, I don't know, like an ice cream or a dessert or something like, I don't know, like spam. <laughs> and I remember telling him, and he goes, what is spam? And I said, well, it's the stuff in a can. I ate it as a kid. I actually, when I go camping now, I still like to 
buy it in a can and slice it and cook it on this open stove. I, I said, is it, you know, he's like, oh, that's funny. And we talked about it. And then I got invited to come back again um, with Martin Weedman mm. <laughs> to South Africa to a conference. And it was to be held in March of 2018. So I kept up what was going on. And I, but I was like, you know, I don't want to fly 24 hours to go there anymore. So I'm going to just do it by Skype. Right. And that's right. how Martin was going to do it by Skype. And so I was fine with that. So <clears throat> long story made longer. It was a terrible winter in Seattle. Julie and I decided to go to Arizona for a long weekend. I'm in Arizona with Julie. Uh, and it's the first part, first, second, third, fourth of March. And I get a call from Luther, uh, Giannis and he says, hey, the minister of health is going to do a press conference, you know, at 4 a.m. your time. Uh, you got to watch it. So I flip open my lap, get up, flip open my laptop. I'm watching it. And he said, we now have 650 people, 150 dead. And it's Tiger Brands Poloni. And I was like, Shit. <laughs> excuse me you know and so i was sitting there i closed my laptop and i'm like you know i wonder if i could get to south africa and so i call my travel agent he said he goes and this i, I know this sounds like a typical marler story and i go i go can i get to south africa by thursday it was tuesday and he goes uh where are you? I'm like, I'm in Arizona. He goes, <laughs> he goes uh, <clears throat> yeah. He goes, if you guys leave for the airport in two hours, have somebody meet you at the airport with a whatever you want, including your passport, I'll get you there. So Julie, I said, wake up, Julie. I got him to South Africa. <laughs> and so we was like, we fly to home. My daughter brings me some clothes and a, in a bag and my passport. I hop on a plane, you know, to uh, Amsterdam and then Amsterdam to Johannesburg. I show up Thursday, three hours before my speech. I show up there and it it's like going back in time to 1993 in the Jack in the Box case. Everybody is hands in the air. Oh, my God, how could this happen? Oh, my word. Oh, my word. It's a terrible thing. It's it's our 9-11. Oh, my God. And I was just like, I felt like I was, you know, 35 years old again. And so I give my speech, lots of media there. They're interviewing me about like, how could this happen? I'm like, well, it wasn't a reportable disease. And these guys must have produced a lot of product that was contaminated. I started getting phone calls from people in South Africa back in Seattle. That's wild. And then, then I made a decision that I needed to find a law firm in South Africa that I could help. Mm. So I found a consumer lawyer um, who had a, a couple of lawyers. And essentially, for the last four years, I have funded a law firm that is actually larger than the law firm I have here in the United States That's in South Africa. And, um, and we've been working our way through the system, albeit <clears throat> incredibly, incredibly frustratingly slow. So 
That's fascinating. Um, that's my story. So, so, I, so can't, I, I can't practice there. I don't obviously can't wear a wig and go into court, but I can pass notes. So, so frustratingly slow, even from the perspective of a lawyer, which everything in the law in terms of litigation to me hap happens frustratingly low. So that's that's frustratingly slow, even calibrating for your frame of reference. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's the system is not designed. The South African system, the, the, the laws underpinning it uh, are as advanced as you could possibly be. The science behind the work that the NICDD, their, their version of the CD, exceptionally, exceptionally good science. I mean, uh, in fact, I would argue almost, if not better than some of the science I've seen anywhere else in the world. Mm. Um, so, so exceptionally good science. But the, the court system, they have a split bar between barristers and, and us commoners, and it, it creates all kinds of conflicts and problems. Um, the law, it's essentially, I am reliving my life as a jack-in-the-box lawyer. You wow. know, I mean, I don't mean to overstate this, but <clears throat> the jack-in-the-box case and what I did in 1993 to 1995 created the body of law that we now take for granted in the U.S., related to food as a product and a and a adulterated food product that people consume on behalf of hmm. essentially that that was what i did i am now doing exactly the same thing in south africa wow. and cool. so it's 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 kind of creating in a weird way i'm reliving my life again <clears throat> um and so it's somewhat frustrating because I know I know how the story is going to end, but I have to get everybody to go along with the story. And there's it's just the chapters are <clears throat> in Afrikaans, a lot more Latin, uh, a lot more Zulu and a system that hasn't fully developed. Huh. And, and you've got 30 years of experience. So you know right. where the pitfalls are, um, and, and and what's what's where. That's yeah. So I didn't. I'm glad I asked because I didn't know. I didn't know any of that. Like I mean, I, yeah. I knew that you were you were talking to South Africa. Um, so that's that's fast. Right, so what's what's the next South Africa? Is it France with all of their uh, pizza? Nicola and, and pizza. Yeah. So probably the dough, wouldn't you say? It looks like it. 026. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, um, I'm not really into uh, import exporting litigation. I think, again, I think there's 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 other ways to deal with this problem that doesn't necessarily require lawsuits. I mean, there are way, other ways to do this. And I could create a system of, of uh, regulation and criminal sanctions, criminal fines, along with some adequate compensation for ill people, like on a kind of like on a workers comp basis. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, New, New Zealand has some, and I've spoken in New Zealand and they, 
they have some really very interesting ways that they deal with foodborne illnesses and illnesses that occur through no fault of your own. They have a system, a legal system, a medical system that takes care of people. Now, they don't necessarily get, you know, the sort of money that I might get on from my client here in the U.S., but they're guaranteed like a, a minimum amount. Um, and so one could argue sometimes whether or not that might be a better way to do it. So there are other ways to do it. And maybe, you know, someday I'll write a book about how to actually how to do this correctly. So well, in my spare time. So I'll, I'll, I'll probably miss like misremember this whole thing, but um, <clears throat> I went to uh, on a couple of occasions, I've been to Alberta um, the, and, and the law there is different from the law that I grew up with in Ontario, where there are, um, I, I guess like probably the misdemeanor style fines that get applied for food safety infractions by, by restaurants, but there's a really good relationship between the lawyers who are not like province of Alberta lawyers. They are a private law firm that I think works with the government of Alberta to then bring lawsuits and towards these businesses. And, and that's a different way of looking at it, right? Like that's not where, you, you know, the, I, I don't know what the. They have class action laws in, in Canada that actually function far better than the ones that you see here in the U S um, that's why our courts have frankly find class action cases disfavored. Mm. Uh, but it, it, that's that's for a legal seminar. So yeah, it's it, it is fascinating to me though that how how all of these things are intertwined, right? Like like we're really interested in in keeping microbes out of food, but the the law and how to do that is going to influence how well we can do that, and and right. why. Like Don and I in in our last episode talked about our interest in sort of changing the food code to to be more science-based when it comes to one little slice of it, no pun intended, but it's cut vegetables, right? We talk about in the in the food code, which is then adopted by reference or somehow in, by 50 different states or in yeah, or in you know in, in New Jersey's case, like at the very local level. Um, and we're interested in saying, okay, let's not just look at melons and tomatoes and sprouts, but onions and avocados, they matter too. Um, and, but they're not part of this, like how we manage it. And, but there's, there are lots of different steps to go through to change it. It's not like, oh, we have good science. Now we should hold onions at like in the refrigeration temperatures. It's, it's a very fragmented system. And it's one that I think we, embrace and love, but it's right. trying to explain it to someone outside right. our, our, our world. Even someone in the food safety world in Canada or in South Africa is it, it's different, right? It's all it, the, it's all, it's all really, really complex in this. Yeah. And cultural stuff going on. It's yeah. yeah it's, uh, but yeah, it's that part of the fun of uh, part of the fun of uh doing these kinds of cases and being, you know, going to different places in the world uh, and seeing how they do things differently. Um, 
you know, um, there's certainly much that we lawyers in the U.S. can learn. Um, I was I, the this infant formula thing did remind me of the melamine in the infant formula in um, in uh, China. Yeah. Um, I, and <clears throat> I, I, I think you guys might know that I've been involved in like uh, a food safety conference that has occurred in China every year since uh, I think 2005. I, you know, usually help fund it. And uh, similar to my story about the lawyer uh, conference, somebody had sent me, it was right after the melamine and the dog food happened. <clears throat> and somebody sent me a, a thing that, hey, there's a food safety conference in Beijing. And so I looked at it, I was like, this sounds like, it was like the who's who of food safety in the United States, head of USDA, head of FDA, CDC, WH, everybody you could ever think of going to this conference as speakers. And I thought to myself, it's like, I got to go to that conference. And I was like, I wonder if I, they want me as a speaker. And they said, and this is, you know, another Bill Marler story. So I contact them and said, Hey, you know, would you like, I, you know, would you like me as a speaker? And they said, well, yeah, there'll be $25,000. I said, no, 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 no. I don't take money. I don't take money. And they go, no, no, no. You're going to pay us. You pay us 25 grand and you could be the opening speaker. And I'm like, I'm in. (laughs) Uh, Where's my wallet? Where's my wallet? So anyway, you know, so, so, uh, but I was there a couple of years later when the infant formula thing blew up and we had been asked, all the speakers had been asked, you may not talk about this during your talk. And of course, I, that's all I talked about, you know? And I remember sitting, I remember sitting in the airport in Shanghai. Um, uh, I was with Gary Locke, who's before he, our former governor, before he became an ambassador, uh, Chinese old friend of mine. And I had brought him with me to China and he was somewhat of a, a kind of a mini rock star. So it was a big deal. Um, but he and I were sitting in the airport in Shanghai and I was reading about a lawyer who was representing uh, some of these victims getting arrested. <laughs> and I had about a two hours before my flight. And I kept thinking to myself, it's like, how am I going to explain to Julie that I'm stuck in Shanghai? So anyway. Yeah, then you got arrested for talking about I Melanie. made it. I made yeah. it out. I made it out. So oh, man. Yeah. So Dom, what else, what else we got for Bill? We've I, honestly the, the I wanted to talk about the South Africa thing and, yeah. and Abbott Labs, so we've done and you know we've done that. So um, I don't know, Bill. Do you, would you have any? Do you have any questions for us? Anything yeah. you want to know about food safety? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's so it would take hours for me to learn from the feet of of you two gentlemen. I, uh, you, no, you, I just, you picked up a lot along the way. You're pretty. Yeah, good. yeah. I think you'd be I, fine. I, you know, I no, I just and I I, I am just I am just really you know, pleased that, uh, of, you know, the work you guys do, I'm, you know, um, I, it's, it's an honor to, I read almost everything you guys, I, I'm a, I do listen to your podcast, not as frequently as I should, but I do, um, you know, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, I look forward to 
you know, maybe it's going to be in 2023, you know, seeing you guys, uh, you know, at some of the conferences and having a good glass of wine or something, you know, a well-cooked steak, you guys can eat it the way you want. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's been a real interesting journey. You know, it's been, it's been, uh, you know, January is going to be the 30th anniversary of the Jack in the box case. And, um, it kind of in some days seems like it was just yesterday. Other days, it seems like it's been forever. Um, there have been some good things that have happened in the last 30 years. And, you know, you know, I, one of the things that, uh, you know, I said to a lot of people when they sometimes feel a little down, like, oh, you know, we're never going to figure this out. What are we going to do? And I really think back on <clears throat> the way life was in the in the nineties and early two thousands where, you know, E. coli linked to hamburger was like 90% of 95% of my law firm revenue where, you know, recalls of hamburger were, you know, a weekly occurrence, half a million pounds, a million pounds, another outbreak, more kids sick. And to think that here we are, you know, two decades later. And the fact of the matter is, is, I don't have any E. coli cases linked to hamburger. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. And it's not right. like some other lawyers doing it. Right. It's right. like the, and it didn't take the industry. I mean, you go back to, you know, Mike Taylor making 0157 an adulterant. We could talk for hours about whether or not it should or it shouldn't be. But the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, the industry fought that. They sued the government. They, you know, fought, blah, blah, blah. You know, I took a, bunch of money from the meat industry over the course, unwound them, discovered documents, disclosed those documents. But eventually they go, you know, let's fix the problem yeah, to the extent yeah. we can. And the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, 0157 is still around, but it pops up in leafy greens and flour and, you know, stuff like that. But I have, you know, we just don't have 0157 cases or non-0157 cases linked to hamburger anymore. And I think you can look at that as a pretty compelling, um, you know, accomplishment mm -hmm. for industry, for sure. academia, uh, for government, uh, for consumers. I, I And I just think that that's not an exact fit across other food items. But at least the fit could be that there's hope that if you like work together to solve a problem, you're not going to have a Lauren Rudolph or a Brianne Kiner or, or, you know, or a Stephanie Smith. You know, you can avoid that because, you know, we are. And it, and it frees up the system, all of all the people that you just said to to work on the other ones that we we didn't even know about or we knew a little bit about. And 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 they look like sporadic cases before. And, and now, like the every time that someone asks me about, like, how has food safety changed? Right. Like it's a big it, it's a big topic that, that sure. journalists want want to know about right like is food safer now than it was or less safe we see more recalls right like that's the thing and it's like well we we see more recalls because we're better at finding it probably 
and and the outbreaks that we see, there are more of them, but they're smaller, smaller, exactly. Yep. And, and that's that's a win, right? Like that's yep. a that it's it's a it's a change. We're we're getting better at finding them earlier. Before we've got four hundred and cases, we're we're finding twenty or seventeen, and those are still tragic events. But, but it's but there's there's less of them, and I think it is because yep. we're not fight. Yeah, we're we're freed up to look for those because we've. Yep. We're, we're, we've moved past some of the the, the traditional listeria yep. and deli meat is another yep. good example, right? Like it's right. it's an area that 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 we're we we just don't see many right. cases anymore, and it has yep. and it has changed. No, and I think and I think the work you guys have done, um, you know, and I think you know the industry, um, you know, has stepped up. Uh, I. You know, I think in some respects, there's a lot of the low-lying fruit, so to speak, that have been, you know, fixed. Uh, some of the problems that we see now are really harder to fix, like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like in leafy greens, you know, um, yeah. water contamination, environmental contamination, and how do you deal with land use issues? And, you know, I mean, these are, they're not insoluble problems, but they're pretty fraught with financial interests and political interests Mm -hmm. and difficulty where, and how do you mesh public safety, public health, you know, economic development. And I mean, I think to me, those are things that we should grapple with, you know, and, and fix. Um, but, you know, it, I mean, those are, one, yeah, those are challenges. One, it, but it's one step at a time, right? Like, yep. like how many years ago we didn't even have FISMA. We didn't have a produce safety rule. We still don't have an ag water rule. And, right. you know, and, but, but again, it's, it's like baby steps. And I think what I find, you know, I'm not just in terms of my own professional work, I'm always so focused on what haven't I done yet? What is the next thing I have to do that it isn't unless I have to do some sort of annual review or accountability for the higher ups in the university that I take a minute and turn around and look back and yeah. say, wow, I did yeah. a whole bunch of things, yeah. you know, yeah, no, because, yeah. because, which is fine, but, but I'm forward. I'm, I, I've just learned this about myself is I'm just focused on what's yet to be done, which I, I guess is, a, is, is probably a good way to be. But, but yep. I think if we don't pause and reflect on what we, we have done, it can sometimes feel discouraging because we just look at the pile of stuff in front of us. No, I has yet to be fixed. Right. I no, I completely agree. And uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah. I mean, I think there's, we've made a lot, we've made a lot of progress um, and, uh, you know, and I, I look forward to, you know, I, I look forward to, you know, the, the remainder of, you know, what, uh, of my legal career, food safety career and, uh, continuing to sort of, you know, drive what I can drive. Um, and yeah, it's, and it's, a, it's just a pleasure to, uh, to, you know, know you guys and to work with you and, yeah. and well, thanks for having me on yeah oh. hey any anytime we'll, we'll have to do it again in another six years right right yeah <laughs> or whatever it's been yeah right. no we uh, yeah we appreciate you making time to to come on and having such a, a candid conversation because I, I think it it illuminates something for our listeners you know we we talk about the microbiology and the intersection and and it's you have a different perspective and 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 really not not many people 
at all can talk from that perspective. And, and we just appreciate you coming on to, to do that. And it's, and it's, 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 it, I find it perpetually fascinating to talk to lawyers anyway, because I think people that go into law generally have a different way of thinking about the world than people that go into science. Um, and I'm mm -hmm. always, and it's always interesting to talk to lawyers, but it's especially interesting to talk to somebody like you, Bill, who, who really, you know, lives in the same world that we live in and, but, but just looks at it from, from a slightly different perspective or maybe a significantly different perspective, but one that is always, to, to be able to, to, to look at the world through the, and, and hear how someone else sees it uh, is always fascinating. So, yeah. Yeah. And, but, you know, I think the thing where, you know, especially my little niche of the law uh, is, you know, the rule of law and the, and how that, that process works and sort of the, the idea of trying to find the truth for me, that's where the, the intersection of law and science kind of like yep. fit because right. that's exactly what we're trying to both right. find right. is right. like, what is the truth, the truth? And, and, and then, you know, then what are the policy implications right. of that truth? Mm -hmm. And how do you, <clears throat> how do you make continue to look forward but also to look back that you, like you said, that there've been some accomplishments, but there's still things to do. Yeah. Yeah. And we both, we both deal on a daily basis with, with a lot of uncertainty around that truth, right? Like there, there's, there's data gaps in, yep. in our world and there's data gaps in, in your world. And, and exactly. it's, that's a, it, and, and we, <clears throat> and it, I mean, and we're never really going to get away from that, but it's a challenge that I think we face differently. One thing I, I want to add is um, Don, and you know, we not to get all mushy with with the two of you, but the but both of you are inspirational in the world of of food safety for me because you both look at things. Let's look at the messy first, right? Let's let's not let's not shy away from the hard thing to fix let's, 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 let's embrace that. And I, and I think as um, a younger faculty member, and even now as I, you know, being whatever, mid-career, whatever it is, I see it, I see it's it, um, with those who I work with in that, in the world of academia, it's easier to do the easy things because you're, you're in the bean counter world of how many, how much, how much, how much research can I get out quickly so I can get some breath. And, and one thing that I, I really, credit my interactions with with you two specifically and a few other people is to be able to get past that and say yeah but what are the important things that might be messy right like what what are what in you know bill you, you said said this earlier what's the right thing for us to do here not what's the not what's the easy thing and i and i think about my a lot of my interest right now is in this area of and Don knows about this, but the intersection of food safety and food disparity and food waste, right? Like, like we can, we, we can make a lot of very conservative food safety decisions and lead to hunger and waste. We can make a lot of food waste decisions that lead to food safety issues. Um, and, and that's messy and, yeah. and it's only going to get <clears throat> worse um, as, as we come out of sort of the impacts of going through two years of a pandemic. And so yeah. anyway, I just want to 
I, I just want to recognize you both for being inspirational in that, like, let's look at messy things. Thanks. You're welcome. Thanks. Yeah. All right. I, well, I think that's a show. Yeah. I've got a, I've got a call in uh, 20 minutes with South Africa. Well, excellent. Enjoy. I made them, I made them wait. Yeah. I was hey, going to say, tell we me you could get up early, but yeah, uh, <laughs> tell, tell me we're doing a really important podcast. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, thanks, Bill. It was great thanks, to, Bill. to see you and talk to you. Always, Bye-bye. A, always a fun. Thanks. Au revoir. Yeah. Bye. So do you want to put the video out on this one too? We never if do that. You, if you think you can make it work, sure. Why I think not? I can. I mean, I'll just download the, yeah, download we it. Could, you know, we could put on YouTube and do yeah. you know how to do that? No, yeah. but someone, oh. someone who works here does. Okay. Cause I, yeah. Cause I, I learned how to, I, I have learned how to do it. Um, because occasionally I forget, oh, but it's recorded to the cloud. Anyway, I, I've I, occasionally recorded stuff locally for the IA, the New Jersey affiliate. And yeah. The only way to put it up is to, is to upload it to I, to iCloud, to, uh, to YouTube. So yeah. anyway, I'm sure you can figure it out, but yeah, cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. We, that was great. That was, that was a, that was a cool episode. Um, yeah. I always like talking to Bill. He's very, uh, I don't know, uplifting and optimistic. Yeah, he is. <laughs> yeah. He, and he, the man has boundless energy. I mean, I just really I don't does. understand. He really yeah. does. He's an inspiration. Okay, cool. So let's look um, at times to do this again. Yep. Oh, and I captured two, what I thought were good um, uh, episode titles, Fourth Leg I, of the Stool uh-huh. and Long Story Made Longer. Okay, and the only the one, and this is slightly modified from what he said, but but I I would suggest no, Bill, you pay us twenty five thousand dollars. <laughs> All right, done. <laughs> I like that, and it goes with our our theme. Of exactly, keeping Bill's in the financial Bill's wallets. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, okay, so two weeks from today is the twelfth. Um, are you available the afternoon? I'm, I've got an event, the dedication of the plant sciences initiative building that goes into one. I do not have anything after one o'clock.
Yeah, it looks it looks like wide open for me. Would you like to do 130? Because that is sure. conservatively will get me back in time. Yeah, and I got I got flexibility there too. So and actually I might even right be able now. to go home by that. And uh we'll be there. All right. Cool. Um I think that's it. Uh, and then I'll talk to you. Yeah. I got, um, what, do I, what do I got going on here? I got, I got 20 minutes for lunch and then I've got two annual reviews and then we record risky or not. So it's a, wow. it's a big, it's a big Don day. You've had a busy day, big Don day. day. And I got, I got, I got stuff to do, but not as much as you. Yeah. Wow. Cool. All right. I'll okay, talk to you cool. at, uh, at two and then, uh, I've got two to four. So we've got, if I'm yep. not right, I might have to go to the bathroom first, but yeah, that's fine. Cool. All right. All right. Bye. Bye.